You are listening to Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is your host, Anne Levin. Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring experts on the ground in Ukraine and from around the world, covering myriad issues caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I am Anne Levine, your host and producer from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Today we present part two of our interview with Dr. Taras Kuzio, who is professor in the Department of Political Science at the National University of Kyiv Moila Academy. He presently is an associate research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society in London, England. Dr. Kuzio is the winner of the 2022 Peterson Library Prize for his book, Russian Nationalism and the Russian-Ukrainian War, Autocracy, Orthodoxy, and Nationality, published by Rutledge in 2022. Dr. Taras Kuzio, according to you, a new Kremlin-approved history textbook for Russian school children offers an unapologetically imperialistic view of Russia's past while attempting to justify the current invasion of Ukraine. Presumably, this textbook can only be taught in Russian-occupied Ukraine. Yes. What are the Russians teaching both Russian and Ukrainian children? In some ways, there are new things there, but in other ways, there are not. In Vladimir Putin's Russia for at least 10-15 years, there has been a government-supported cult of Joseph Stalin. He's been rehabilitated. It's a bizarre thing. It's it's been ignored by many people. Um, It's strange that it's been ignored because could you imagine, you know, Germany having a cult of Adolf Hitler? We would all go crazy um, saying, what the hell's going on? But, but, you know, Stalin was also a mass murderer, including of Russians, and not just of Ukrainians and others. But so you've got this cult of Joseph Stalin linked to the quasi-religious kind of cult of the Great Patriotic War. Stalin was, the, was a hero for Putin because he built a new Soviet empire. He transformed the USSR into a superpower with nuclear weapons, um, and he defeated the Nazis. So if you promote Stalin like this, then you have to forget and hide Stalin's crimes. You can't promote Stalin as being both the bad guy and the good guy. So Stalin as the mass murderer is now hidden from the Russian public and from Russian children. It's only Stalin, the good guy, who defeated the Nazis and built this you know, big Soviet empire. Um, so that, that aspect has been coming and is now out there in force in in the textbook, Um, the more overt imperialism is is more, I think, a new factor. The the claims that uh, Russia is just fighting to take back its historical lands. There is no Ukraine. Ukraine's a fiction of the imagination. 
um, and um, Ukraine and Belarus are just part of Russia, really, and therefore uh, what what Russia is doing there is absolutely normal. So the Russian school children will be taught that um, the Russian army is just liberating old Ru- ancient Russian lands, which were wrongly included in this fake country called Ukraine, and they will be fighting Nazis. So the the war is is portrayed in these textbooks and in the Russian media as a kind of a second World War II, a second Great Patriotic War. Russia defeated the Nazis in in the 1940s. It's now fighting Nazis again. Um, This becomes extremely amusing because Ukraine is led by a Jewish president. So how can Ukraine be a Nazi state if it's run by, if the president of the country is Jewish, whose family were murdered in the Holocaust by the Nazis in in World War II. So there are many inconsistencies in in this, but but that doesn't matter because Russia is a dictatorship and everything is centrally organized and, and, you know, teachers and children can't really protest about what they're being told. Added to all of this is the militarization of young people. Uh, which is kind of uh, a return to the Soviet Union. So young children in schools are being donned in military uniforms. They're given weapons weapons practice. There's a militarization of young people, which is linked together as well with this anti-Ukrainian, anti-Western xenophobia, um, because these kinds of regimes like Putin's always need enemies. And the enemy today is the West, which which is supporting Ukraine. And therefore, Ukraine is a kind of a Western or U.S. puppet state. So all of these kind are the kind of things which are being taught in, in Russian classrooms. Some Russian parents are not very happy about this, but they don't really have much power because, as I say, Russia is a totalitarian dictatorship. It's an authoritarian regime. You, you, if, you, if you protest too loudly... You're going to go to jail or you'll be killed. Speaking of what you just said about Ukraine having a Jewish president, etc., how do Russians define Nazism now? Um, well, there's a number of factors here. Um, the Soviet Union itself, and Putin, remember, is somebody who's very nostalgic for the USSR, very angry, angry that the USSR disintegrated in 1991. Jews um, who used to be part of the Soviet Union have zero no Soviet nostalgia. Why? <laughs> right. Because they know that the Soviet regime was hostile to them. They, the Soviet regime repressed Judaism, repressed uh, Jewish religion and culture, and, and destroyed or closed down synagogues. The USSR itself hid the Holocaust. It never talked about the Holocaust. The USSR always talked about 25 million dead Soviet uh, people and soldiers. It never really talked about the Holocaust as a separate uh, murder campaign against Jews, separate to the Soviet people. It kind of subsumed it under this Soviet dead, and therefore there were no real commemorations of the Holocaust in in the Soviet Union. 
uh, Ukraine has had massive Jewish revival, the biggest Jewish revival in Europe since 1991. I've been to Dnipropetrovsk. I was actually just there last month. Uh, just as we're speaking now, in the city of Uman, which is south of Kiev, there are between 20 and 30,000 Jews from all over the world commemorating the birth of Hasidism. Um, this is where the graveside is of the founder of Hasidism in the, in the 19th century. This is a festival that happens every year in September. And, and so they have zero problems in coming to Ukraine. And by the way, this is the biggest uh, Jewish gathering or Jewish festival outside Israel in the world. I mean, there's nowhere else that you have that many Jews coming together. This Hasidic pilgrimage to Uman in Ukraine, which takes place every year, is for Rabbi Nachman Breslov. I just wanted to mention his name. Takes place yes. on Rosh Hashanah. He's the founder of one of the branches of, of Hasidism, right? Right. I think yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a two to three week event every year. The only time it was um, didn't take place was during COVID, during the COVID pandemic. And uh, and I've just looked today on social media, and they are there today in Oman. So the war hasn't stopped them, and the so-called Nazi-run Ukraine has not stopped them going. Um, on the other side, what you're talking about, Nazism, this, again, is a, it's an import from the USSR. The USSR was the same, and, and Putin's regime is the same, in abusing terms such as fascism and Nazism. They throw this label out to basically being anybody irrespective of your political views, you could be a social democrat, you know, center-right, nationalist, um, if you don't want to have your future with Russia or with the Soviet Union. So in the, in the Soviet Union, if you were a dissident and you wanted the independence of Ukraine from the USSR, you were castigated as a Nazi collaborator, bourgeois nationalist. Um, today, if you support um, the Orange Revolution, the Euromaidan Revolution, and you want Ukraine to be part of the West, part of Europe, join NATO, join EU, then you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. Um, when the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, was asked the question, how can you say Ukraine's run by Nazis if you have a Jewish president? His answer was anti-Semitic. His answer was, well, Hitler in the 1930s also had Jewish friends, and Zionists in the 1930s collaborated with the Nazis. This is what Lavrov actually said. The origins of that kind of approach to Zelensky to say, well, he's not really, you know, he's just a fake Jew, or these Zionists always collaborated with the Ukrainian Nazis. The origins of that, again, go back to the Soviet Union, because the Soviet Union in the last two decades in particular, sort of the 19 late 1960s to about the to the 1980s um, the Soviet Union was launched massive anti-Zionist campaigns and the anti-Zionist campaign was de facto camouflage anti-Semitism um, that's that's what it was um, and so when Putin Sergei Lavrov and these other Russian leaders uh, tried to explain how you can have this contradiction between having a Jewish president and a Nazi state, they they have to rely back on this 
Soviet approaches and, and saying, well, these Zionists were always in bed with these Nazis anyway. This is Anne Levine. I am speaking with Dr. Tadas Kuzio, who is professor of the Department of Political Science at the National University of Kiev, Moila Academy. He is associate research fellow at the Henry Jackson Society and the winner of the 2022 Peterson Literary Prize for his book, Russian Nationalism and the Russian-Ukrainian War, Autocracy, Orthodoxy, Nationality, published by Rutledge, 2022. Dr. Taras Kuzio, untold numbers of Ukrainian children have been forcefully kidnapped by Russians and, from what I've heard, have been taken deep into Russia. How many children are gone and where are they being sent? Different people cite different numbers. Um, the, the highest numbers are in the hundreds of thousands. When you see different people quoted, the United Nations, Russian officials, and, and Ukrainian officials, they all cite different numbers. I guess with the fog of war and the fact that still large areas of Ukraine are occupied, it's very difficult to know the true numbers. The two people who were indicted by the International Criminal Court were Vladimir Putin and Maria Alexeyevna Lvova Belova who ironically is supposed to be the lady in the Kremlin looking after children's rights. She's actually adopted two of the stolen children from Ukraine. The goal of, of this is to russify these children, to, to, to eradicate and remove anything Ukrainian from their minds um, and make them into loyal future pro-Russian adults. I mean, I think it'll do the opposite to that. Um, but they are often taken away from their parents under false pretenses. For example, they um, are taken to so-called holiday camps in Crimea, and then they never come back to their parents, um, or they lie to their parents and say the children have been killed or something, then they're stolen. So... This has been taking place since um, the spring of last year. Um, we don't know the real numbers because, for example, in the, city, the port city of Mariupol was completely flattened by, by Russia and the figures of people killed there are anything up to 100,000 people um, and many of the children would have been taken from there by, by Russia. They're usually taken with their parents, if they're with their parents, taken through filtration camps, um, then they're separated from the parents and the children are forcibly taken away. Some of these children are adopted in Russia um, and some are, are, are put in orphanages. They are usually based in regions of Russia very far from the border with Ukraine. There's also been some evidence that some of the children have been placed under the Belarusian Red Cross inside Lukashenko's uh, Belarus as well. 
So it's a very, very um, unpleasant aspect of the war linked to Russian war crimes. Certainly, Putin and Lvova Belova were both uh, indicted by the International Criminal Court in March for this crime of deporting children. There will be further crimes that will be indicted for, but deporting children and people in, in, in this kind of war situation is considered a, an infringement of the Geneva Convention and of, uh, as a war crime, for, as it has been for decades. But I'm sure there'll be further criminal charges for many of the other war crimes um, which have been committed. The goal of Russia is to do with de-Ukrainization. It's the destruction of Ukrainian identity and its replacement by something which Russia would prefer, like a little Russian, a kind of a, a, a Lukashenko-style identity, which is subservient to Russia. Um, and it's part of the kind of the goals of what Russia has done in the occupied areas. This so-called denazification of Ukraine, nothing to do with denazification, is the mass graves of those kind of people being found together with murdering um, people such as teachers, uh, library um, people, um, civil society activists, politicians, veterans from the army are part of the war crimes together with the deportation of children. So hence why the, the war crimes charges by the International Criminal Court were to do with classified the deportation of children as part of the attempt by Russia to undertake war crimes and genocide against against Ukrainians. I've seen a few stories of Ukrainian children being returned to Ukraine, to their families. How does that happen? I think it's usually due to very, very um, persistent um, mothers, Usually, mothers, not not the fathers, because the fathers could be, um, could something could happen to them in Russia. They, you know, they could be maybe killed or something that's less likely to happen to the mothers. They have to try to borrow money uh, to do this um, because it costs money to travel around Russia looking for their children. They have to hire people to sift through social media. Maybe they'll find photographs of their children. So it's usually very persistent mothers who have gone out on a limb. Um, They've had to do lots of traveling because you can't enter Russia through Ukraine. So you've got to do it through, say, the Baltic states or or Scandinavia. And eventually, if they're lucky, they'll find them. Then they have to maybe bribe somebody to to release the children and then bring them back. So it's it's a very laborious process by by very persistent mothers. But not everybody can do that. And in some cases, the parents have been killed already. Mm. Um, so, and, and in other cases, I've read the children are just too young and they're just too psychologically disturbed to even remember where they came from. And, um, and they don't have phone numbers because their mobile phones would have been taken away from them. Yes. Do North Korea... China, Iran, any other of Russia's allies besides Belarus offer shelter 
to Ukrainian children, if you can call it shelter? No, the only country I've heard of where they've been um, sent to as well as Russia is Belarus. Um, and there was a scandal a few weeks ago about how the international uh, scandal was that how can the International Red Cross not say anything when these kidnapped children are are in Belarus under Belarusian Red Cross supervision, as it were. So I haven't heard of any of them being sent to North Korea or, or Iran or China, no. I personally believe that this thievery, this human trafficking of children is possibly the most egregious war crime. I'm curious if you know, are there any organizations that we can donate to? We There are. There are many charities around. I think the best way would be to do a Google search for charities involved in Ukraine, which are involved in the area of children's rights, deported children. There are some official Ukrainian charities, one run by the president of Ukraine called United24. Yale University professor Snyder has been heavily involved in that. And United24 has different branches of what it's involved in, both civilians and children's side, as well as the military. So you need to obviously check. They're usually bona fide, but you should check before you donate anything and ask around. There are always going to be people who say, yeah, no problem. I've donated. One of the interesting aspects of this war is the degree to which you have a kind of a horizontally based Ukrainian volunteer movement, civil society and army. You have a huge volunteer movement and it's involved in all sorts of areas, including women's rights, children's rights, helping civilians who were trapped in the war. I've donated to various charities like this, and I've even donated to charities helping pets in Ukraine because um, a lot of people have had to flee from war zones and have left their pets behind. And there are charities actually trying to rescue those uh, pets as well. So there are charities involved in various different areas of the war, including certainly I've seen ones devoted to 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 these deported children, which I agree with you is um, absolutely disgusting. And that's why the International Criminal Court found that to be so, so easy to indict Putin and his sidekick. And Maria Alexeyevna Lvova-Belova in the Kremlin, um, because it, it's not something that difficult to you know, to look for evidence for. Um, and in other areas, the ICC is certainly collecting, and this is the first war in history where there's so much evidence of war crimes um, that's publicly available. I mean, there's, on social media, every day there is evidence shown, um, because this is the first war in history with uh, social media covering it, to a, to a, such a great extent. And also because Russia's not hiding it. Uh, Russia's not even hiding the war crimes it's committing. I mean, that's one of the most bizarre aspects of, of, of this war. There will be plenty of ways for those who are listening to this program who want to help Ukraine children 
financial and other ways. So please do help in any way you can those um, various charities who are trying to help the parents bring back the children or try to deal with the, the traumas. Because one of the horrible aspects of this war is the trauma inflicted on on the children, hearing air raid sirens who are having to do school in, in underground shelters and who, um, who may be lost members of their family. Dr. Taras Cusio, I have enjoyed this conversation on so many critical issues. And thank you very much for inviting me. I hope that, as we all, I'm sure, hope that this war ends as quickly as possible so that the suffering of Ukrainian civilians, children, um, women and men ends and that the people responsible for this are indicted for the war crimes and I'm sure that they will be condemned. Dr. Taras Cusio, thank you for your time and expertise. by Sting. You have been listening to Ukraine 242. This is Anne Levine, your host and producer, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Our thanks to our guest, Dr. Charas Cusio. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg. Additional editing and production, Michael Levine. Save Ukraine is the only public organization in Ukraine that regularly organizes and successfully conducts rescue missions to return Ukrainian children from Russia. To find out more, go to saveukraine.org. That's saveukraine.org. To see pictures of our guests, And to access our entire library of shows, go to ukraine242.com. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week on Ukraine 242.